Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the more than meets the eye to my robots in disguise, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I, I was trying Dude, to come up with... That might be my favorite one of those that we've done. Really? I was trying to go harder into the word salad of it just to challenge you, but nothing nothing felt right. That That's the one that felt right, so I, I, no, I it let it be. No, it not only feels right, it, it's, it's fun to say. It is difficult. I almost tripped. Uh, but let me also be the first to say it's super topical and I love it. It was perfect in every way. Oh, that's nice. Hey, that's how you start an episode. There you go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, as always, let's keep that good time a rolling with our big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and the servers a humming and questionable humor choices coming right at you. Although today I feel honestly, Robert, I'm feeling real good about today. Yeah, well, that, there's a reason for that, Jonathan. Happy National Everything You Think Is Wrong Day. <laughs> oh, the other 364 days just pale now. <laughs> March 15th recognizes Everything You Think Is Wrong Day, a day where decision-making should be avoided, as your thoughts are, according to the founder of this holiday, wrong. It's also a day created for some people to realize that they are not always right. <laughs> well... The only thing I have to look forward to right now is the fact that this doesn't happen for another eight days in real time, meaning that today <laughs> was not everything I thought is wrong day, meaning that it was a good day because I felt pretty damn good today. Okay. I, I just love the copy on this one. I, I have to read Check it. me back on March 15th when everything falls apart and I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is true. These are facts. While you might think it would be okay to point out how wrong others' thoughts are, you'd still be wrong. You'd still be wrong for thinking that. However, it would be a good day to scroll through those Twitter comments that annoy you. Of course, you're wrong on this holiday. Take solace in the thought that so the ugh. take solace in the thought that so the person to the right and left of you. Then again, you'd still be wrong. According to the name of the day, share your thoughts and let us know how wrong you think you are using that hashtag. Everything you think is wrong day and post it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my and they even God. have a QA on this thing. I'm getting in on this. I need you to chime in on the 15th. I need you to text me and remind me that it's everything you think is wrong day so that I can get in on this. Question, is there an everything you think is right day? Answer, no, but there is an everything you do is right day. Question, is corned beef and cabbage only served on St. Patrick's Day? A, if you think that, you'd be wrong. Corned beef and cabbage can be served any day of the year. <laughs> See, everything you think is wrong. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, uh, next recording day for us, uh, is spring break and I'm going out of town. Well, we rented an Airbnb on the Oregon coast and we're going to go visit like the aquarium and the kids are like, we should go to the beach. And my wife's like, yeah, we should go to the beach. I'm like, it's like late winter in Oregon. Like it's, I, I we could go to the beach for an hour or two, but it's going to be cold. I mean, it'll be pretty, but, but if you're, if you're going to the Oregon coast, you do have to go to Astoria and visit Goonies. We're not going to be nearby. We're, we're kind of more south from that uh, in Alabama. Oregon's not that big. It's big, dude. It's big. It's. It took me four hours to drive across it because Portland's like all the way at the top. You, you've been talking about uh, 
doing an episode without me or not, whatever. It is up to I don't you. Know. It's really going to depend on what happens the next few days. I wash right. my hands of this. You, you, you I, I can have no part of it because I'll be gone when normally we'd edit too. So if, if I can put it together, it'll happen. But chances are with the way the last few weeks have been, we'll probably just skip that episode and get back to our normal schedule once you return. I don't know. I don't know who you should have in my chair. Who could fill this 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 faux level leather chair that I'm sitting in? No one can fill it. All we do is keep it warm for you. Ah, thank you, sir. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the good stuff right there. <laughs> so see us in two weeks or four weeks, whatever. Two to four weeks. Two to four weeks. <laughs> Individual results may vary. If there's any redness or swelling at the application site, please <laughs> consult your doctor. <laughs> Where the hell are we? Oh, there we are. Okay, so... <laughs> and it is now time for our off the shelf segment that is of course where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelf onto our tables and or media devices and most importantly into our hearts although i've got to be honest with you not a long list for me today it's been i just started a new job and it's just been crazy okay well a lot to absorb that's good that's good brendan brendan picked up the slack for you because he he indeed did watch streets of fire and he felt compelled to like talk like share audio with us so brendan he has his own podcast it's called uh pick up and deliver wow i pulled that out at the last second um phrasing but uh yeah yeah he uh he recorded a special mini episode for us to like insert into our episode i don't know what's going on but uh yes it is his thoughts welcome to a special episode of pick up and deliver where i pick up my audio recorder when i had it for a walk and tell you all about Streets of Fire as I stroll around. I'm friend of the podcast, Brendan Riley. Well, hello, friends of friends of mine over in the hello, Brendan. Uh, Forgot My Dice podcast. <laughs> I was the subject of a little bit of a conversation in the last episode as Jonathan and Robert talked about Streets of Fire. And so I thought rather than conveying my mediocre thoughts through <laughs> text in the Discord, although I did do some of that, I thought I would just take a minute here to record a very brief uh, audio clip to send to them. And uh, if they want to put it in the episode, I guess they did because you're listening to it. If they didn't, you won't hear this. So uh, the future, (laughs) what a mystery. Uh, If you are not familiar with my podcast, uh, you hopefully remember me from previous episodes of Forgot My Dice, but I also do a podcast called Pick Up and Deliver where I record while I'm walking around, which is what I'm doing right now. So if you hear birds or traffic, that's part of my shtick. It also means I don't have to edit very much because the it's expected there'll be some noises. All right, so Streets of Fire. Not nearly as bad as Robert makes it out to be. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a bad movie. But it's an enjoyably mad movie, right? It does not suffer from the cardinal sin of being boring. He is right. Uh, it, it is, is quite entertaining, bad. even if it's pretty bad in, in a lot of places. Robert is absolutely right. The opening scene is a banger, and I would agree. Like, the first 15 minutes of the movie are excellent, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, wait, I must have checked out the wrong movie. This can't be bad. And then eh, it goes downhill pretty fast after that. Uh, a couple <laughs> things I want to highlight. Again, happens. I agree with Robert's <laughs> assessment that... It takes place in the 1950s, 80s. I mean, the 1980s had an interesting moment anyway because the uh, people who grew up in the 50s were now adults and they were making media and they were nostalgic about the 50s. And so we see the 50s returning in a lot of ways, including um, parts of the pop punk, of the punk scene of the time, right? The Stray Cats or other bands that are starting to do like 
1950s style swing music and uh, similar uh, Brian Setzer, I guess is a little bit later, but um, we see this sort of reemergence of the 1950s as an, as an aesthetic in the 1980s. You also have the, the start of rockabilly culture in which people basically pretend to be in the 1950s, although they tend to be uh, much less um, socially conservative. They just like the style of it. Um, but the movie is full of sort of 1950s looking bikers, but because the opening number is so firmly 1980s in everything about the way the, the, the scene is shot and the way the music sounds, that I, I had no doubt in my head that this movie took place in the 80s until about a third or maybe halfway through the movie, when even though the fact that people are driving old-timey cars, I thought it was just an affectation, but then about halfway through the movie, the main characters encounter a uh, black doo-wop group driving in their bus, and... It sort of came back. I'm like, wait, no, they can't just have, you know, 1950s style rock and roll music. They've also got doo-wop, what? And then suddenly realize, wait, this is supposed to take place in the 50s. So that's the, the shift there, I think. Also, I'll call out the weird rockabilly bar and the strangely androgynous uh, stripper in that sequence, which is totally unnecessary and uh, pretty exploitative, but also feels very 1980s, like a kind of androgynous, uh, short-haired or pixie-cut uh, stripper, female stripper, of course, because, you know, 1980s movie. But that feels very 1980s, not very 1950s. Uh, Robert suggested that perhaps this movie has a kind of um, some of the roots that we would see in John Wick, and I can see some of that. Certainly the lone rampager going into a place and, and kicking, kicking ass. I probably see a bigger thread from John Wick and stuff like Death Wish and Payback, uh, movies in the 70s that have this sort of revenge narrative. Um, I probably see that connection better, although the sort of kinetic uh, craziness of the fights, certainly, I, I certainly see what you're getting at uh, with that one. Uh, you know, I would say there's a couple amazing performances. I love William Defoe in this movie. He is just chewing the scenery and really enjoying his his own sort of unique look. He has a very 1980s David Bowie aesthetic to him. At one point, we see him uh, shirtless and wearing like vinyl overalls for some reason, and they just look that was the Dune so bizarre. And again, so 1980s. <laughs> I spent a lot of the movie thinking he looked like a lot like Slavita Johan or Jovan who is the uh, actor who played uh, Gozer in Ghostbusters. I think there's uh, a lot yeah. of similarity there in how they look. And uh, I mean, it makes for really interesting and entertaining uh, characterizations. I think there is some bad casting though as well. I didn't even look up his name, but the guy, the guy who played the lead in this movie was not good. Uh, just yeah. didn't have a lot of charisma to my to my no. sensibility. And <laughs> God, no, for some no. reason, they put him in these like corn pone overalls that just made him look like a doofus uh, for a lot of them. Or he had like big suspenders and kind of goofy pants, which you know I guess they fit the 1950s soldier aesthetic as opposed to the um, the biker aesthetic that the villains were going for. But ultimately, he just looked like a doofus. And I also think, uh, as much as I love Rick Moranis, I think Rick Moranis was drastically miscast here. You know, the whole idea is he is this sort of music producer who is supposed to be this sort of high-powered guy, and he spends most of the movie just being unbelievably obnoxious, which is fine, but I don't think Rick Moranis carries off the power needed to suggest that at any point in his life he has the power necessary to in a social dynamic to act that way at all. However, the rest of the cast was amazing. Uh, Diane Lane was a delight. Bill Paxton has a small part. Amy Madigan, 
fantastic as <laughs> a former great. soldier, a female former soldier. Again, felt like the 80s, not the 50s. I mean, I don't, I don't think women got to be soldiers in the 50s, although I think she was part of the motor pool. I, I, I don't think she was active duty um, combat soldier. But yeah, I don't know. It felt more possible in the 80s than it did in the 50s. They also gave her an aesthetic that I think um, people, the producers of A Marvelous Miss Maisel went and grabbed uh, for the manager, Miss, Ma Miss Maisel's Ooh, manager. Yeah, that's a really because, good point. Because uh, it feels mm -hmm. very much like uh, how a lesbian wants to dress in the 1950s to uh, advertise that. And the film never comes out and says that she's a lesbian. In fact, they talk about her having a relationship with a man, but you could certainly see that being part of the cover. And when he kind of says, he kind of hits on her and she's like, not my type. Also, you know, surprise per, uh, appearances by E.G. Daly, who was in uh, Valley of the Dolls, but, um, or uh, Valley Girl, but I mostly remember from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and um, Ed Bigley Jr. in a small part, and anytime Ed Bigley Jr. shows up, a movie is better because he's there. And finally, I took great delight in Rick Rosovich being there, who's an actor who just shows up in this short window uh, in the 80s, and he's in a bunch of movies, and then I don't know what happened to him, but I always think of him as Chris, the big dumb fireman in the genius Steve Martin uh, adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac, Roxanne, which uh, is a movie I could watch a thousand times and then watch again. Also, the place that I learned to spell Albuquerque, A-L-B-U-Q-U-E-R-Q-U-E. -U -U -E -E. So, uh, all in all, Streets of Fire, I mean, if you enjoy bad movies because they're bad and you and you can appreciate parts of them there's a lot to like in this movie it's weird the music has a really strong role especially early on uh and i you know i think robert you're right that there's a lot of stylistic and uh plot choices in the film that we can see reflected later on down the line even if this film did not really pull them off very well so well, thanks for having me on the show, fellas, if you, if you did. Uh, if not, hopefully you enjoyed listening to this uh, personally. And uh, greetings to all my FMD friends. I look forward to talking to you soon. This is Brendan Riley checking out. Bye. You know, Brendan brings up a lot of good points. And, and because I had, didn't get a chance to weigh in on this in the last episode, allow me to, to give my summary thoughts here. Well, you uh, hadn't watched it in the last episode. How, how yeah, about this? I, I went and rented it again so we could talk about it intelligently. So God, we can go. You're a we saint. can go there. You're yeah. a saint. Yeah. So let me be the first to say that the first 15 minutes does feel like it was created by a different creative team. It's freaking brilliant. <laughs> it, it's, yes. it's legitimately brilliant. Then the rest of the movie happens and you realize what an absolute <laughs> show this production must have been. Like, wow, there was a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack. I am like 99% sure that that is the main set from Highlander 2, The Quickening. That that big street with the uh, with the elevated train over it, I'm like really sure that they reused the set there. It looks identical. I'm I'm not gonna watch that movie again just to check that out. Like once was I saw the Renegade cut and I'm like I I I had that in me once. And it, I'm done. it 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 that's that's like putting a bandaid on a bullet hole. Yeah, it stops a little, but it doesn't <laughs> fix the big problem. God, that movie. Anyway. I see a lot of DNA. I see a lot of um, influence going to directors like Alex Proyas, uh, who would create Dark City uh, in the late 90s. I see a lot of Dark City in here. Can I can I throw in here? I figured out what it was that it was really reminding me of. What's that? I, I am positive a young Quentin Tarantino saw this movie. And I was just going to say the same thing because you brought that up when we were talking. And yes, yeah. absolutely. The more I watched, the more you see the beginning of Tarantino's aesthetic in like 
a pre-gestational form. Like it, it, it very obviously planted a seed in a, in a young person's head that then became the Tarantino verse without a doubt. I, I feel, I feel like we could really make that call. We're, we're not the only ones, too. I, I actually Googled that after I was talking to you about it. And like other people have written the same thing. I'm like, ah, I'm smart. People yeah, no, agree with me and I agree with people. It's a great thing, man. Like, I see what you're saying with Wick. And, and I think that Brandon made a good point. It's it's in some of the dynamicism of the fight scenes. But I, I, I also agree with what Brandon was saying, that I think that, that that DNA is more strongly in the 80s looking at movies like Death Wish, which he brought up. But I would also say I, I saw these weird little pieces of Platoon or not Platoon, excuse me. I see weird pieces of Commando in John Wick, you know, like <laughs> I feel like I feel like John Wick gets a lot of DNA from a lot of places. OK, OK. When, when I was saying John Wick, uh, what I was more meaning was how there's this weird sort of alternate world. Yeah. You know, OK, the, I can see that. Yeah. Like like the vibe more like like John Wick world is not the real world. It look it, it's like it's like World of Darkness or, you know, whatever. It, it, it looks like our world, but it's not. Yeah. And and th- this was the same way. It was kind of anachronistic and it looked like the 1950s, but it wasn't either. It was both. And, and yeah, it was this really stylized thing. And and yeah, the, the main reason I think Tarantino's fingers are in this movie is the, the music is so important to it because like the themes from several of the songs that they made for the stupid movie um, are in the soundtrack. Like the musical cues are really yeah. important and they were really thinking about the rock and roll being well, part it, of the narrative. It's funny. You want to talk about influence on modern movies. I feel like this actually influences movies like baby driver where the entire movie is timed to the music. I really legitimately feel like this weird quirky movie comes out it becomes like a cult hit with a bunch of young people and gestates and then forms into movies that we are now getting in the last 20 years that that take that idea and really maximize it. Yeah, I would say starting in the 90s, you started kind of seeing that. By the way, did you know Amy Madigan is uh, married to Ed Harris? Fun fact. Oh, fun fact. And they were actually married when they shot this movie, I think, because they got married in 83 and this was what released in 84. So probably shot in 83. So I was I was tooling around the Internet and I stumbled upon this uh, sociology teacher who does uh, YouTube basically lectures. And he was uh, he did a really long like an hour. It was two parts, but it was an hour total um, on this trope that is uh, uh, it goes there's a there's a it goes through black Twitter a lot apparently like I, I haven't seen it on TV tropes or any of my the the stuff that I've looked at but it's called the impossible white man <laughs> and it's a it's an action movie trope and let me read you the rules because I think I think uh, the protagonist in this one also gets covered with the impossible white man too uh, it is not a superhero or a comic book movie rule number one rule number two it must be an action film no questions asked three. The protagonist cannot die at the end. Dying and being revived at any point is allowed. Four, <laughs> despite the name, protagonists in said films do not have to be white or even male, just a human being with a vague set of skills being a badass under situations that would mean death for the average citizen. And he, uh, in, in that, he credits like probably the very, very first Impossible White Man movie to be uh, Die Hard, because previous to that, uh, and, uh, and even during that, you know, it was like Schwarzenegger and Stallone and these really, really macho giant men. And then, you know, Die Hard is the first movie about more of an everyman that's in an action movie. And, you know, it's a blue collar action flick. Yeah. Yeah. And and 
Streets of Fire definitely had that going on too. Yeah. Cause, and maybe that's why it didn't work at the time because I mean, we are talking about the time of commando and predator and all of that where shorts, the action movies were Schwarzenegger and here comes in, uh, I, I forget his name, like uh, something Pierre, Pierre, I, I forget his name, but he's not, I mean, he's a big dude, but he's not like, he's not Schwarzenegger big. He's just fit. You know, he's out there with a, a rifle uh, on the roof of buildings, like shooting up motorcycles and taking on an entire street gang and then getting in a freaking sledgehammer fight. Like, you know, a, a normal person. Dude, the sledgehammer fly, f- fight was awesome. Like, it totally pleased me on many levels. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I, that's the point in the movie where it broke for me, because um, Wait, I realized that's the point. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like for that whole movie, because I um, feel like it, we jumped the shark long before. No, 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 no. You're, you're. Uh, let me, let me explain. Uh, for that whole movie, it's, it's really weird, and it feels like a, a absurdly modern production, like something you'd see, like something in the last 10, 15 years, more so than you know, forty. And except for that sledgehammer fight, if the sledgehammer fight was filmed today, they wouldn't cut away so much because they like hit and new shot and hit and new shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It, what, what I mean by that is that I, I enjoyed the use of a non-traditional weapon. Right. Right. Like, no, it I agree. I feel fresh. It made it feel unique and different while still being impactful. That was the only point where I, I, I kind of lost the thread of this is like a, a movie way ahead of its time. Cause that was the really big thing where it wasn't. So anyway, I'll, I'll say this about the movie. It made me research it which is always a good sign that that, you know, it affected me in a positive way. I thought Willem Dafoe was like so interesting that I want to see additional movies with that character, with Willem Dafoe playing that character. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's there's so much more to that character than we had a chance to see, which is kind of heartbreaking. I thought that that movie was like ridiculously well shot for a movie that took that that was shot in probably like 82 or 83. I, I thought that the, they used the camera in ways that felt much more modern than the age that it was built in. Uh, fun fact. Did you know that this was originally part of a trilogy? Yes. Yes. The second one was going to take place in the snow and a third one was going to pl- take place in the desert. Yeah. The second one was supposed to be called the far city. And the last one was supposed to be called Cody's return. Have you seen the unofficial sequel that got made about it? No. Hold on. I will send you the preview. Like, Do you want it in Discord? Yeah. Willem Dafoe is... God, he was amazing in this. Uh, it's called The Road to Hell. It was apparently filmed by the director of uh, such films as Nemesis and other garbage from the 80s. All right. Uh, uh, where is this? I'll send which, it, which channel? I'll, I'll send it to you in Discord so you can watch on the big screen, sir. Okay. The big screen where are you there you are there's ace apollo is it in 4k i don't know so this is like unofficial but it really is cody yep and the same actress who played the sister dude can you imagine what this would have been if they'd had green screen back then (laughs) what do you mean this whole thing was filmed on a green screen no no i'm talking about the 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 original movie oh yeah no (laughs) was with the Apaches. I love how they have all these quotes from like, you know, random bloggers. Yeah. <laughs> like they mean anything. Wow. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that I wouldn't watch the living <laughs> out of that. But dear God, that looks like a hot mess that I need in my life. <laughs> well, Luckily for you, the whole thing is pirated onto YouTube. I'll send you the link. Oh, yes. (laughs) God, this is when I love the internet.
<laughs> this is phenomenal. You've made my, perhaps my millennium at this point. Oh, God, that looks like a hot mess. I can't wait. So, yeah, man, like what a crazy movie. There's a lot that really works there. It's very obvious that that was the seed that germinated into so many different things. But wow, those first 15 minutes are a movie that deserves to be made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Honestly, um, I think uh, I think if they had cast the lead better, it would have worked. It, it maybe would have actually actually worked, you know. But yeah, the lead was really miscast. I I see what he meant about Rick Moranis in it. I I liked him anyway. I I it, it's so rare to see Rick Moranis play an asshole. But see, I, I think his awkwardness in the role actually fits because it's it's a, somebody trying to play tough when they're not, and that's the whole point. I think. Yeah, well, I when I was growing up, I had a friend who will remain nameless, but uh, he was a, a short guy and got picked on a lot for it and and just was angry and acted like that, like straight up. And he got his ass kicked a lot. But yeah, like it totally reminded me of that. Like he, he had that short guy chip on his shoulder. But, you know, he uh, but that character was that character grown up or that person grown up uh, and having a lot of money making music. And, and you know, like he had enough money. He could throw his weight around a little bit because he, he could afford to basically. No, there's a surprising amount of modern thought in something that was produced at that time frame in, in the whole movie. Like, it's just, I don't know, man. Like it, it was, what a surprise. I mean, make no mistake. It's a hot mess. Mm-hmm, After mm-hmm, about the mm-hmm. 15th minute, like prepare yourself. It's a buffet table of, of questionable life choices. But that being said, they all were really work in a weird way. Well, and here we are. We're, we're saying how awful this movie is. I have now watched it twice and we have devoted what, like 20 minutes to it. Yeah. Easily. And we, and we got a guy, you know, to, to make an <laughs> eight minute audio clip, uh, to send it to us to explain his thoughts. Yeah, no, it works. It works. All right. Well, now we got streets of fire out of the way. Let's keep on keeping on. Uh, what do we even have next? I, I've lost. Uh, well, since we're on movies and TV, let's keep it on. Um, I started watching Peacemaker. Nice. Nice. What do you think? Um, Where are you I'm, at? I'm four episodes in. I think it is nothing oh. short of brilliant. Yeah, I think John Cena is absolutely underrated because his acting in this is, I mean, legitimately, I, I don't say this hyperbolically. It is absolutely Oscar worthy. His range in this show is nothing short of amazing. And the dude, scripts, dude, you have you have seen nothing. Oh, man. And Episode the seven so is a good. freaking revelation. Oh, yeah. Where was it? Where was that during the Suicide Squad? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. But I guess this is what you get when you get the opportunity to focus for eight episodes on a single character. Also, you get your production shut down due to COVID and you're real, real bored. Yeah. Because no <laughs> that's when he wrote it. <laughs> See, COVID was good for some things. But what, what a fascinating character to center on, too. Like. Mm-hmm. Of all the characters in Suicide Squad, I felt like this was the one that I would have stayed the furthest away from uh, for something mm-hmm. like this. And this ends up being like an amazing portrait of a character. You you haven't seen nothing yet. It's right. so good. Well, don't don't ruin anything for me. I'm going to keep watching it. I am really enjoying it. It is really a phenomenal show, despite the fact that like I actively hate at least three characters. <laughs> but I hate them because they're so well written. You know who I love? Who? Vi- Vigilante. Vigil- oh my God, he's amazing. When, when he comes up behind John Cena, it's like, I, I got this, buddy. Don't worry about it. 
You know, it's like such a loving <laughs> moment, but he's about to assassinate two children. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so messed up. I got this. Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought it, most people, when they portray sociopaths on TV, uh, you know, they're, you know, lonely and weird and stuff. And I, it's really weird watching this guy who's clearly a sociopath. Um, just, you know, like for whatever reason, he, he's really deeply friends with, uh, you know, peacemaker and, and he's, it's really important to him. Like he really tries hard to make it work. And it's, uh, if you know a bit about sociopathic behavior and, and, uh, uh, stuff like that, like things he does in that show, you know, and, and even uh, it may not be pure sociopathic behavior too. It might be, there, there's some autism references in there too, but like just things he does, uh, because he knows he should, it, it, it I don't know. It's a good character. You haven't, you haven't seen the bits where he does a lot of that. So anyway, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Yeah. That's all you watched. It, well, that's, that's all you have wa- had time for. Oh my God. Okay. Um, all right. All right. I did well, also manage to watch, uh, no, that is it. That is it. Cause the only other thing I watched was misery, but we're going to talk about that later in the episode. I told you I've been really, really busy, man. It's like super busy. I know. I know. That's okay. You've been talking to me more though. So it's getting easier. All right. All right. I'll shotgun through myself. So I've been watching a YouTube channel about Godzilla movies because my son Miles has been getting into Godzilla movies. We've been watching Godzilla movies. Uh, He, he really liked his favorite is Godzilla versus Gigan. So I started watching a YouTube channel about the history of making Godzilla movies called like big action Bob or something like that. It's a funny guy during his uh, thoughts on Godzilla singular point. He mentioned an anime called uh, Stein's Gate, and my daughter likes the anime, so I'm like, maybe we can bond over this. So I rented it from the library, and my daughter doesn't like it all that much, and I can see why, but I am fascinated. It's actually, uh, it, it can't be a very good anime because I always like really weird ones, but this one is, it's fantastic. It's very much in the vein of um, Primer. So it's about Ooh. time travel, and it's about, uh, it's about a, a group of people that accidentally invent time travel. As one does. But it's uh, slightly less confusing and there's more characters. And because it's the anime, obviously they got bigger budgets. And what I really liked about it was callback to like way, way back in the 2000s. A big piece of the plot is about John Tidor, um, who just look up that name, John T-I-D-O-R on uh, the Wikipedias. Uh, It was this thing that was going around uh, kind of very fringy. uh, Bolton boards at the time where a guy claimed to be the t- a time traveler from the year 2036. And, uh, yeah, there's this weird subgenre of TikToks that I've seen that are yes. like, people pretending Claiming to be time t- travelers that yes. also apparently have no grip whatsoever on reality or the geopolitical situation that the world is in. Well, if you want to see that in its proto nascent form, read about John Tidor. It's very interesting, but, but Steins Gate, whoever wrote it, like went deep on the John Tidor and it's very fascinating and, and knowing about it and then them, I don't know. I, I was tickled pink. I've been watching it. It's half hour episodes. It's got anime problems. There's sexism and weirdness that goes on in it too. But uh, overall uh, I've been enjoying it Uh, and I would recommend if you want to watch it and the episodes are really short. There's, I think there's like 26 of them or something, but they're a half hour or less than a half hour because they're like TV worthy. So like 22 minutes. So uh, I, I got through a lot of it really quick. I'm about seven or eight in at this point. Um, Start watching Star Trek Lower Decks because I sent a GIF of somebody from Lower Decks uh, to uh, Ray, actually, for our game. And uh, I'm like, I have to watch that again. That show was a delight. I I don't know why people hated it. Uh, Speaking of Trek that people hated, Star Trek Picard Season 2 premiered. Oh, 
Okay, don't tell me a thing. It's on my list. I just haven't had time. <laughs> oh, so good, Jonathan. Okay, don't was tell so me good. a thing because I really enjoyed season one a lot. Uh, and then I started watching The Hot Ones, the YouTube show. Oh, where God, they, I love they that do- show. Yeah, yeah. It was quite fun. It's quite fun. I've been I've been enjoying that. And then I, I watched Streets of Fire again, so I'm done. Thin. All right. All right. Fantastic. So let's get moving on. Uh, do you want to move over to reading? Because it's a real short list for me. Because of, without going into any detail, uh, the current geopolitical situation, I have found myself completely attached to the news, like the real news, not fake news. And because of that, I haven't even managed to finish uh, Expanse Book 7 yet. But it's really good. It's really, really good. I'm two-thirds of the way through it, so I just need to finish it up. I just, like I said, the real world got really, really worrisome recently. Um, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to it, then you know what I'm talking about. And No way. As a history major... (laughs) that has studied the major European conflicts, I see a lot of very familiar themes happening, and it's just very upsettingly worrisome. So I've been rather razor-focused on uh, current events lately. But Expanse 7 is... Or 11? 9? 9. I guess it's 9. Anyway, Leviathan Falls is really, really remarkable. It's a, So far, it has been an absolutely fitting end to this uh, this series of books. I haven't read much either. Um, we caught a cold in the house and it was bad enough that we actually went and got COVID tests, which came back negative. And of course I felt better the day after I took the COVID test. So that's the way it always happens, bud. Yeah. So I haven't read much more of the Swedish Dracula, the powers of darkness. I haven't read much more of to love a vampire. Uh, I'm still kind of clipping through those, but yeah, I haven't read much either to be honest. All right, let's move on to, Oh, oh, oh. So we played more Knights Black Agents, Jonathan. Yes, we did. It's getting good. And We're doing a heist. That makes me happy. <laughs> and it sucked because, like, my power went out right as we were about to start the heist, which really, I got very aggravated last night, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's probably for the best. I'm going to I'm gonna say it's okay because I, I don't think we w- would have been able to finish the heist that night. So maybe it's better that we do it all in one go. Yeah, but let me be the first to say, hey, Aircut, get your <laughs> together, please. I, I, <laughs> the last time this happened was about two weeks ago. It happened in the middle of a work day. Now it's happening in the middle of my RPG. I have like 18 and a half minutes of free time any given month. Like, don't don't take that from me. I'm done now. Rant over. But yeah, you were telling me before we got started that you're you're in love with the system and you're in love with the game and uh, or the adventure and yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so I mean good. you're doing a baller job with the adventure. You're doing a baller job with the delivery of it. Uh, but more importantly, like the the system itself lends itself so well to this whole like spy situation. Like it really just it works. Everything about this it just absolutely works. And you were, you were talking about the risk versus reward of it. And it's kind of like a hidden feature of the system because um, as the adventure drags on, you have less and less points. And so like the feeling of the stakes getting raised and, you know, in the, in the beginning of spy movies, usually the spy can really handle stuff easily. But by the end, they're dealing with, you know, higher level goons or whatever. So, you know, dealing with that stuff's like much more like, you know, tense and it gets reflected because you're you're low on points <laughs> and you just can't do all the stuff that you could do very easily at the beginning. Yeah. When it didn't matter quite as much. It's 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 ingenious, to be honest with you. No, it's it's really it's 
like the system and the subject matter just mount up and connect so well. And that's not something that you see all the time in RPGs. Sometimes it's like, oh man, the system is great, but this is not the subject matter for it. Or, oh man, the subject matter is great, but this system is not. And this is just a perfect melding of the two. Yeah, and the Dracula dossier is mind-bendingly good. Yeah, right? no, it's, it's a been really phenomenal. Good campaign. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Dracula's real. It really happened, everybody. Just saying. <laughs> I am sure we'll go into that deeper once everything is said and done. Should we move over to video games? Yeah, absolutely. Just, and then spin the wheel? All right. I'll do it real quick. Uh, I played, uh, been playing more Hot Wheels because the boys love it. And uh, it's gotten so bad. The boys really like one of my cars. And every time I see a Hot Wheels display out somewhere, I go and look for it because they'd be tickled pink getting it for real. And I haven't found it yet. It's very sad. And then uh, per Ray's recommendation, I rented Hades from the library. And oh my God, that that is a so good. That is a good game. Yeah, it's so good. So good, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I highly recommend. I mean, I, I'm like years late to that party, but still. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like um, a lot of roguelikes. There's not really a reason to play them again. And this one, you know, and also their stories suck. And, you know, like Super Giant Games was all just like challenge accepted. <laughs> and they, you know, gave you a reason to play it more, which is very clever. Like, because I, I beat it, you know, I, I got out of hell or I got out of Hades and uh, or whatever, the underworld. And uh yeah, no, it's not over. They give you a really good reason to go back and keep beating it over and over again just for the lulls. So Yeah, and what's phenomenal is that it it weaves a familiar story in a fresh new way. Like, it's, yeah, everything about it is phenomenal. So what have you been playing? Um, not a ton. So I started Horizon Forbidden West. It, it, actually, oddly enough, like, this has been a total, like, two weeks of PlayStation 5. I started Horizon uh, Forbidden West after finishing Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, and I'm having a great time in that universe. It's just a huge game. It's a huge, huge, huge game. That being said, it really improves every single aspect of the first game in a positive way. The only thing that I have any kind of quibble with is the climbing is not awesome. Like other games do climbing really, really well. This game does not. And unfortunately, there's a lot of climbing in it. So that's the only downside as far as I can tell. Everything else has been really fun. In particular, the the voice acting and the just the characterizations in general have been really just off the charts in that game. Uh, do you know what's been fun with that game? What? So it's going around the Internet that, uh, you know, like Sony screwed up on that game and uh, they've been taking pictures of uh, Alloy's uh, face and like graphics have gotten so high fidelity that they can put peach fuzz on people's faces in video games now, which is absurd. Um, but, but like, there's all these people on the internet that are going like, women don't have beards. And I'm like, oh. and then everybody else who's actually like, I don't know, human been with a woman before, uh, you know, actually had, had the loving just, uh, just looks at them and says, Hey guys, how do you say, I've never actually been with a girl in real life without <laughs> saying I've never actually been with a girl in real life. Cause yeah, that's not beard hair mofo. That's just peach fuzz. And all the ladies got it. All of them. It's not just that. I mean like the skin is, it looks very real, including like, you know, redness from exposure to the elements. And these people don't have a lot of cover. It's not like they're hanging out in, you know, interiors like we have. Yeah, yeah, they get all pissy about that too because she she looks so old, and it's like, yeah, yeah, she's outside a lot. 
<laughs> and she, and it's like, and she, she looks so, it's like, yeah, you know what? When you're in a tribal society and you're outdoors a lot, you don't have a lot of time to do your makeup. That's just what ladies look like. Yeah. It, I think that the graphics are nothing short of phenomenal. And they're some of the best, most realistic player models I've ever seen in my entire life. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and then aside from that, Gran Turismo 7 came out last week um, on Friday, and it's pretty much of the very limited video game time I had this past weekend. It was the only thing I played pretty much. I just love me some good racing. And this like it's definitely the most modern Gran Turismo game I've ever played. But at the same time, it totally takes me back to 1997 when I played the first one. And it's a great continuation of the series with the perfect balance between new hotness and uh classic like it's really well balanced game i really enjoyed gran turismo one because it was semi but it wasn't quite in the weeds enough that it turned me off but all the subsequent games have gone just a little bit too far with me so well, this where one is it on gives that? you the most options of any gran turismo game ever in terms of finding the level that suits you you can have steering assist, braking assist, gas assist, all the assists in the world, or you can turn it all off. You can control individual subsystems like whether or not cars will have anti-lock brakes and things like that, which, by the way, allow me to be the first to say, while I still find the shape of the Xbox controller to be a bit more pleasing to my hands, the PlayStation controller is the best controller that's ever been made by mankind. And one reason and one reason alone haptic feedback in the triggers and the the level of subtlety that is available in the vibration because it is utilized to such a brilliant extent in Gran Turismo 7 that it is legitimately giving you the same kind of feedback that a car would give you in real life in terms of being able to feel shifts of weight or feel whether or not the tires have grip because, you know, you feel that stuff through the steering wheel. You feel that stuff through the brake pedal when you're under heavy braking, right? Yeah. And 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 the car, like, I don't know if you've ever driven a car in a, a performance manner before, but, but I've been lucky enough to have gotten a chance to do that. And when you put the car on the extreme edge of its ability to grip the road, you do get physical feedback. And they use the, ha- the, the force triggers and they use the haptic feedback of the vibration in ways that I've never seen in a game before. And it, it helps to translate what the car is doing and it almost becomes essential. Like it's really brilliant. It's, uh, I mean, jaw droppingly good. So highly recommended. I'm having a great time with it. And it, like I said, it really reminds me of the first Gran Turismo, but with all of the abilities to turn assists off if you don't want them. So do with that. What What's you up want. with my library? They don't have that. What? Maybe uh, Library Brendan is on vacation. I will look into that later. You had me at it. It reminds me of the first one because the first one was like right at the level I could deal with semi-wise. It was sim enough for me to for me to be interesting, oh, but not make no mistake. You can make this thing into a sim if you want. That's really your choice. Right, right, right. Right. But it gives you the option of not doing that, yeah, which is what I want. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Absolutely. All right, Jonathan, tell me about the board games you've been playing. All right. Uh, been playing some Transformers, which we're going to deep dive, so I'm not going to talk too much more about that. Um, suffice it to say, I got a bunch of games in. I have started to consume the rules for Empire of the Stars because that'll be a deep dive uh, coming up. Empire of the Stars, by the way, is a uh, remake, a continuation of Galactic Empires, which is an older game. Or Galactic Emperor, excuse me. That was a strategy game that came out um, some time ago in Galactic um, 
or Empire of the Stars is the like new version of it. So it's got some cool stuff in there. Um, I'm really excited to, to talk about that more as, as I dive into it. I uh, did manage to get a game of Dune. I'm, I'm now calling it Dune Light in, you know, same great flavor, only one calorie. Or I should say only 15, you know, only 15 minutes per hour of the other game. And then <laughs> um, you and I have been playing Seven Wonders uh, on our telefonos. And they have been, um, I don't know how I'm doing in this game. I feel like the cards I've been offered have been strange. Agreed. I have not been able to find any really good recurring theme in my uh, picks so far. Yeah, we added in an extra player and that changed the mix quite a bit. Yeah. It became a different game, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess it's good. I guess I'd rather have a new game than uh, a rehash. So I'll take it. Yeah, it's just I, I don't know if everybody's having that problem. I just feel like I'm having that. Uh, problem. No, every, uh, me, me and Jane are definitely having that problem. Like, OK, it, it's, which it's a which very different experience could make for an interesting close game, hopefully. That's it. We're done. All right. Nice well, that is the end of our off the shelf segment, which means it is now, of course, time for a short break. And when we return, it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment. So we will see you in just a couple minutes. We love getting feedback. So please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And a um, little bit of news, not a ton. Okay, I like your first story, so you're going first. Should I, is it the best? Should we go? Should I save it for the best for last, or are we, got, are we going up front? Do you want fire in the front or fire in the back? I don't know. What's better? Uh, now, we, now we've overhyped it. We're gonna, I'm going to go up front. All right. So a bunch of creators over on the itch.io, which is a fascinating website, have banded together and made a bundle called TRPG for Trans Rights in Texas. Because, Jonathan, your state is a fudging dumpster fire right now. Man, don't even get me started. I am in a state of depression over some of the recent moves by our state government. We try not to get political here, but let me be the first to say, if your politics include basically stomping on any form of human being, then you're, I'm going to call you out. Sorry. My state politics suck right now. They suck so hard and they just, I'm very frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm trying to do this without cursing. Fuck you, Greg Abbott. 
See, now I can't. It's just like, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I can't not say that. Little do our listeners know how many FU Greg Abbotts I've actually had to cut out the podcast because yeah, it just sort of happens. Yeah, we could make an entire episode about how many times I've said, F*** you, Greg Abbott, that have probably been cut. That's okay because I routinely say it out loud too, especially in front of people with Greg Abbott stickers on their trucks and truck nuts. Okay, so let's 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 bring it back Not because this this isn't this isn't seconds. about them. This isn't about them. Don't don't give them more of your brain. Give give five bucks to this uh, to this uh, to this wonderful bundle. It's running through April something. I opened it up to look at it. Yes. And so this is TTRPGs for trans rights in Texas. It's um, four hundred and ninety three items for five dollars. This is almost yes. three thousand dollars worth of stuff. It yes. has raised, God bless them, $245,271.77 as of right now. And you know what I'm doing right now? Giving it five more dollars? I'm clicking on, no, I'm giving it $20. Nice. Because, nice. you know what? And uh, there's a little thing here that lets me put a little note. What do you think I'm going to type? Love and appreciation to every all your fellow men. And women? Nope. F- you, Greg Abbott. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's on there. That's on there. Pay with card. Uh, my this name. is why full name. That'd be Jonathan Edwards, Greg. If you're listening, I'll be more than happy to have a long discussion with you about why you and your policies suck. I I did not text this to you on purpose because I figured you you would like it. So oh no, I, I want you to hear this. Are you listening? This is the sound of me. Typing in my credit card number. Five. I know this isn't the best radio, but you know what? It's really good for the soul. Uh, pay $20. I just clicked on it. And uh, I am not a robot. I am not a robot. I'm a human being that believes that all human beings should have the same equal rights. And that's why I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Boom. I can now download the TTRPGs for trans rights in Texas. Well, let's go over a quick overview of some of the, the highlights. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's uh, Agon, which is a, a, a Greek myth RPG that I've been meaning to read for a long time. Uh, there's an oldie but a goodie called A Dirty World, which is a noir RPG by Greg Stolze, who's one of the original Delta Green guys. There's uh, Nibiru, which is a game I thought I was going to hate because I hate that conspiracy theory, but it's actually kind of a space opera about losing all your memories, and it's kind of kind of story. It's a weird game. I like it, though. It's got a It's got a vibe. It's got a vibe. There's an adventure bundle for modern Call of Cthulhu called The Things We Leave Behind, and there's an adventure in it called Ladybug, Ladybug, Fly Away Home, which might as well be a Delta Green adventure. Uh, Everybody uses it for a Delta Green adventure. There are several solo journaling RPGs, and my personal favorite, and the one I wanted to share with you, Jonathan, there is a, a simple story little RPG called Jonathan Frakes Wants Your Attention and You Must Not Give It to Him. Uh, The copy goes, you have become haunted by a vengeful spirit taking the form of Jonathan Frakes, beloved actor of stage and screen. He wants your attention, a laugh, a glance, a response to a myriad of strange and seemingly innocuous questions. And yet, you know that even the slightest response will be all it takes for him to consume your soul and condemn you to hell for all eternity. Can you survive? And uh, I, I downloaded it. It's basically a game that you play probably with your wife where if one of you is doing a household chore and the other one's bored, uh, one of you just takes on the, uh, the form of the demonic spirit of Jonathan Frakes and starts asking him, you know, questions from his old TV show. Like, you know, it's like, have you ever had a Ghirardelli chocolate? 
<laughs> Look, Jonathan Frakes, if you're out there, uh, I would like to have a long discussion with you about this particular uh, game. I think that I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, frankly. <laughs> anyway, there's a there's a, a lot of stuff in it. Uh, I I barely scratched the surface of it. Yeah, there's I, 17 I've, pages worth of comment or content in this bundle. I'm looking at yeah. it right now because I just yeah. sent twenty dollars to them instead of the five dollars. You can pay more, which I highly suggest because I already feel like my soul is cleaner. That's good. That's good. It's it's nice, Jonathan. Isn't it nice to know that they do make water hot enough to uh, to get that stink off? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I spent my entire youth listening to nothing but um, Public Enemy and Rage Against the Machine and a bunch of other music that taught me one really important lesson. And that's if you don't, if you see something that's not right, don't just sit there and take it. Stand up and make it right. So Chuck D, thank you for that lesson. On that note, you can download the role-playing game Fight the Man Save your store. Keep the music playing. The damn the man. Save the music role playing game. A role playing game wow, for three to four punks. Extremely topically uh, timed. Well played. well played. I know. It just shows you the breadth that you get in this lovely bundle for supporting trans rights in Texas. So I have bought it. Jonathan bought it live. There you go. Yeah. Join us. Join us. There's some really good games in here. Uh, we're going to have fun. And you're also uh, flipping the bird at the state government of Texas, which is, I mean, frankly, always a good time. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So I, I'm sorry. I have to like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to have to take the stage after I, I do that, Jonathan. But yeah, what are, what are your stories, sir? Nothing nearly as important. Uh, as, as what we just did, which was to send $20 to a good cause. Um, and once again, because it's my damn show, uh, and your damn show, fuck Greg Abbott, just had to get one more in there. You're welcome. Sorry you have to cut that out, but I'm not sorry. Leave one of them in. I, I have cut them all out, but I, I'm thinking these, all these are probably going to stay in this time. Yeah, you know, just throw a beep in there if you can. You know, I, I do. No, I do. I do. I, it, it, the, the problem is every other time it's happened, it's so out of freaking left field, Jonathan. We're just talking about something and like you glance or I say something and it just sort of vaguely reminds you of it. And then you just erupt into it and it just sort of breaks the flow. Because I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of pent up frustration. But, with the but that's the thing. It, it, it actually fits with what we were talking about. So now it is appropriate. <laughs> Greg Abbott and his cronies regularly mess with my chi, man. Like, I, I just want to live a good life. I know I'm not perfect. I know I, but I am trying to grow. And like, these people aren't even trying to grow. They just need to go. They need to go. You know, uh, my my main thought on anything that has anything to do with anything remotely like this is it literally takes zero effort to just stay out of other people's business as yeah. long as nobody's getting hurt. Like, who cares? You know, yeah. like who cares? Let's see your search history, Mr. Abbott. Why don't you bring that up? I'm sure we'll see some very interesting stuff in there. And and the important lesson I learned on South Park, you know, like some of the stuff I don't get. But, you know, whose job it is to get it or not it, to get it? Not mine. Yeah. Not mine. It's not my job. You know, it's just it's just like, you know, just let people be. It's, it, you know, whatever. They, life sucks. Life's really hard. I'm in nihilism these days, Jonathan. And you know what? Just whatever you got to do to get through your day, man, just do that. And it's fine. And let people get through their days. Just don't don't bother them. It takes zero effort oh. to not bother people. You know what? Hmm. I can submit this at work and double my donation. 
Booyah. Uh, that's a good point. That The wife's Boom. point does that too. I should bring that up. Boom. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> it just became a double <laughs> you, Greg Abbott. <laughs> anyway, okay. Love it. All right, Jonathan, moving right oh, yeah, along. Yeah, uh, you need to move on. You, you, let go of the hate, Jonathan. It's bad for your soul. You gotta, you gotta. Uh, don't let's don't see rebel here. in the hate. Uh, where the hell were we? Oh yeah, um, there's some news. I do have some news. Let me bring up that window. I had it all set up, and then I had to go make a, a really important purchase. Uh, so you remember how I've been playing the um Transformers deck building game from Renegade, and that Renegade released kind of a, a bundle of '80s cartoon games at the same time. Yeah, one of those was uh, utilizing the very same uh, engine as the Transformers deck building game, the G.I. Joe deck building game, which uh, debuted last year. Well, guess what? There's a new G.I. Joe game coming out using another of Renegade systems, this time the Guardian system. Uh, This is what was used for the Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid game that came out last year. And we are getting G.I. Joe Mission Critical. You are all going to be a bunch of Joes trying to defeat Cobra. Cobra! Cobra! Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm sorry. I'm going to let you finish. Uh, My buddy in college, he was telling me. had one of the best music videos of all time. My buddy in college was, or my buddy was telling me about in college, like what him and his friends would do is they would minorly annoy people and then scream Cobra as like, kind of like the reasoning for it. And I think that needs to become a thing. Oh my God. Let's go to Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like I'm like I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming to Portland and we're going no, to, we're going to Walmart. No, no, this is what you got to do. You got to be at home and your wife has to be eating something and you just got to grab something and shove it in your mouth like right in front of her and make it a big deal out of it. And when she looks at you with that incredulous look, you just go Cobra. And you run away. <laughs> this is happening. I'm setting up a camera. Okay, there you go. Sorry. Sorry. Continue on with your with your game. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-orders will be open up in April. Uh, if you pre-order, you get the uh, bonus gift of Snake Eyes, um, a figure in a retro uh, blister pack. Nice. Games will be out sometime. They're hoping in October of this year. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, hoping. Woo! Well, I mean, <laughs> if it hits the ocean tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Nobody's mm. fault. Just there's a lot going on in the world between. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, that's why I watch the news. I'll just leave it there. We're putting this down before I get sucked back into current events. All right, moving right along. Uh, Your turn. I have nothing else. I'm done. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to shotgun these. Ready? There you go. You know what the great thing about uh, horror movies is? They tend to have sequels, and those sequels tend to feature the villain coming back from the grave. Well, guess what? Betrayal at House on the Hill is getting a sequel. Well, technically another sequel. We're getting a third Betrayal game uh, later this year. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Please tell me it's Betrayal at the House on the Hill in 3D. Oh, my God. No, that would be amazing. No, this is just third edition. Damn it. Damn it. They missed it. It, ah! We had Jaws 3D. We had Friday the 13th, part three in 3D. Ah! But you get 50 new haunts, uh, five thematic categories, uh, just a bunch of new minis. And it's a new designer who, uh, Bruce Glasgow of the Fantasy Realms um, fame. So there you go. We're getting a new uh, Betrayal. Nice. I may have to buy that. I like Betrayal. Hey, you like uh, you like Kobolds, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Pathfinder is getting a new board game. Uh, they're teaming up with Gale Force 9. And mm. what well, the Paizo folks are, are teaming up with Gale Force 9, and we are getting Pathfinder level 20. 
Oh yeah, I read about this. They they actually struck a deal with Gale Force Nine. Like they're gonna make a, a ton of stuff. This is the first thing. Uh, it's expected sometime second quarter of this year, um, <laughs> <so> third or fourth <laughs> maybe. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is actually a rule book available on their website, so go check it out if you want to learn the rules. But um, basically, you are kobolds trying to get away from uh, these like super high level level nineteen fighters, and they are just a few XP away from hitting level twenty. And it's up to you to trick those fighters um, into making mistakes that uh, allow you to save your own skin. There you go. Last Cobalt Standing is the winner. This is uh, designed by Dylan Bertolo. And it'll be a two to six player game, ages 10 and up. And again, sometime second quarter this year. Nice. It's all downhill after, you know, you know, live, live supporting a good cause. You've heard of GameFound, right? It's kind of a Kickstarter's competition. Good, good, because screw the blockchain. Yeah, well, they are getting an influx of uh, capital as well. Ravensburger AG has announced that they are investing and partnering with GameFound. Good. So there you go. It's um, Ravensburger recently announced uh, a new program that's aimed at funding innovation and startups. It's called Next Ventures. And it's it's the hope is that they get to expand their their core business of games, toys and puzzles. And this is their first uh, this is their first investment using that uh, that platform. Nice. And then finally, um, we've talked about Aeon's End before on the show. Uh, They are turning uh, Indie Boards and Cards is turning that engine into a new game. Astro Knights. It's a revamped version of the Aeon's End system. And uh, this is, has more of a sci-fi thing going on. It looks kind of cool. Some some cool art in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is being designed by Nick Little and Will Sobel. And uh, yeah, it uh, should be available later this year. Uh, there's a lot of info on Indie Board and Cards website. Um, but um, yeah, it, one of the big things that it fixes are some of the... Some of the things that, frankly, like made me not a huge fan of Aeon's End because uh, there were some kind of weird rule things that just didn't jive with me. And it looks like they're actually addressing all those. So I'm going to have to give this a shot. I'm really excited about this. Nice. And that's it for the news, my friend, which means it is time for a king in all things. Part 12 of our 39 part series where we are watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas and a couple of extra little bonuses. Looking at you, Lon Moorman, really excited about it. Uh, <laughs> in order of release date, which means we are almost to the 1990s. Uh, this was 1989, right? It was, indeed. And uh, this is 1989's Misery. I have it 1990s Misery. Was I wrong? I thought it was I have 89. To admit, I was really sleepy when I was doing this, so... If I screwed up, I'm not shocked. I guess it was shot in 89. It was released in 90. So you are correct. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we are in the 90s now. Okay, cool, cool. Good to know. Good to know. But it's not really the 90s because Nevermind hasn't come out at this point. Has Nevermind come out? Because that's really when the 90s started. You know? Um, Yeah, 91. It says 91. It was just just the late 80s until Nevermind. So fun fact. I have very fond memories of this movie because a, when I watched it the first time, it scared the living bejesus out of me. Mm-hmm. And B, um, I was actually wait, 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 on a I have trip. 
in um, uh, junior high school going back east. Like we went on a history trip and this was on at the hotel and we basically watched the movie by watching five minutes of it in 20 different hotel rooms. Nice. So, you know, like the pay-per-view movies, they gave you five minutes for free. And so somebody started a stopwatch and we watched four minutes and 50 seconds and then ran to the next guy's room, watched four minutes and 50 seconds more. And we basically did that to watch the entire movie. Nice. All right. So uh, this was directed by the Rob Ryder for a budget of $20 million. It made $61 million. And Jonathan, we have our first Oscar winner, uh, Kathy Bates for her performances, Annie Wilkes. Yeah. So where do we even begin with this wow. film? Like I got to the end of it and I immediately wanted to start watching it again. Cause it's friggin' brilliant. There's no other way to put it. There's no easy way to slide into it. This movie is, I think damn near perfect. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, so I watched it with my eldest. Um, cause I re- it's R, but I don't remember it being a terribly hard R back in the day. And oh God, there's right. one shot though. There's, there's, there's uh-huh. one shot. There's, uh-huh. No, two shots. Two shots that give it the R. Yeah. But uh, it was fun watching it with my daughter because as the movie started, you know, when uh, what's her face or when uh, Annie uh, kidnaps Paul Sheldon and, you know, is nursing him back to health. Like my daughter's like, that's really nice. It's good that she came along. She seems like a really nice lady. And then as she's talking, you know, and as the movie's going on a few more minutes, she's like, she, she gets this look on her face. I'm like, what's up? And she's like, there's something weird about that lady. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what it is. And just kind of watching her process what the movie's about. Cause she went in it blind. Uh, it was fascinating, but it goes to show how good the acting was like, like right out of the gate. She's like, Oh, Kathy Bates seems nice. And she kind of vaguely remembered her from <laughs> the water boy. So that might have been <laughs> part of it. The water boy. This is not. No, no, but oh man, uh, if if you haven't seen it, it's about an author who writes uh, uh, romance novels uh, about a character named Misery Chastain. Uh, he finishes his novel at a hotel in Colorado, and he's driving uh, to turn into his publisher in, in New York. And he goes out during a snowstorm because you know smart smart people don't check the weather report. And he gets in a car accident, and uh, somebody comes and pry, pries him out of his car and takes him takes him away. And uh, it turns out to be this ner- uh, this lady who used to be a nurse, and uh, she's uh, his number one fan. And she turns out to be kind of a stalkery killer. Kind of? Yeah, yeah. No, like 120%. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's really, really good. Like, oh, my God. There, there, every aspect of this film is good. So... Remember last episode when we were talking, we were get, kind of getting excited about uh, some of the people involved in this production. Mm-hmm. All of them brought their A game. Every single Indeed. one of them. The movie Indeed. is shot exceptionally well. The movie is edited exceptionally well. It is directed exquisitely. Every single part is cast perfectly. And mm-hmm. what works the best about this and really this is when Stephen King is at his finest as an author is when it's a small cast that allows him to focus on some interesting characters, which this is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it translates perfectly to screen in a way that a lot of his work doesn't because it's too big sometimes. And it's not like this is a short novel. It's 370 pages. No, it's not a short novel. But I feel like this movie takes the novel and really boils it down into a a, a perfect mixture of stuff. It's it's 
the perfect length as well. And and what what really gets me about it is there's several times in the film when everything feels like it's borderline okay, and then it just whips out the carpet from under you and and like brings you to a whole new level of of well mis- misery really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh I was very impressed watching it again. It and, oh my it god held that, up surprisingly well. The ankle shot, man. The first ankle shot. Mm-hmm. There's something I mean it's a physical, it's a practical effect, and it is so so effective. Oh my god. Like I I just was visually reviled by by it. Like it just oh so good. And then even the the supporting cast, as small it is, as it is, there's there's what five supporting roles, and they're all perfect. And the movie doesn't work without them. Is the thing? Yeah, yeah. No, I I really don't know what to say about this movie besides it's it's a classic. You should just watch it. Like, like even yeah. even the relationship between these these two side characters, uh, the the sheriff and his deputy, who's also his wife. Um, like there's these these little pieces of dialogue that just make it feel so damn real. Yeah, it's the William Goldman in it. Yeah, like when when William Goldman's on fire, he he's he's hitting on all cylinders, and that's that's the beauty of this movie. It's it is perfection when it comes to pacing because the story itself is pretty simple, and it'd be really easy to kind of for it to wear out its welcome. But every scene just is just long enough where nothing it never wears out its welcome. Everything progresses. It's just it's tight. It's a tight movie, and it uses the sets to to a really good degree of um, if you notice in the beginning of the film, it uses a lot of wide angles because he feels free, like he's been rescued. And then slowly as the film progresses, the camera gets tighter and tighter and tighter to highlight his, his being trapped. Like it's really clever what they Mm -hmm. do. Every aspect of this film is just hugely clever. Just so good. All right, Jonathan. So I think we should have the actual conversation. Where does this place on the tier list? Um, I mean, do you want to have a discussion? Or do you just want to put it at number one and call it a day? Because I feel like it goes at number one. And I'll tell you why. Go. The movie that we currently have at number one. Um, hold on. Let me bring up the list. I want to look at the top five. I'm in the wrong. Uh, forgot my dice. King tier list. Here we go. The movies we have in our top three are currently Shining, Stand By Me, and Salem's Lot. All fine examples of King's work translated to screen. To me, The Shining works, but also has some serious deficiencies. But the whole of its parts, the the sum of its parts is greater than the holes that are in it. I don't think this movie has holes. It's start to finish exceptional. So I was uh, personally, I was really waffling on this one. I didn't know which one was better. Um, I thought the shining, my chief complaint about it is it doesn't have characters. It's Stephen King's chief complaint. Like everybody's more of an archetype than a character with an arc. And so misery excels at the characters. Like, it, 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 the characters are perfection. Well, and, and that's what, what Stephen King's books are really about. Like the reason he's such a popular author is because he writes really good characters. Right. Right. Sometimes to the detriment of the plot, but that's a whole nother discussion. That is a whole other discussion. Um, and shining had exceptional mood, like, cause there's not a lot of like actually scary things that happened in that movie, but just 
the overall dread and where shots oh, linger, yeah. it's just, it's a work of art. Uh, and to a degree that that defines, misery is not it defines an entire genre. But but like I said, like it overcomes huge holes, like the fact that there are no characters. Right, right, right. But I'm saying the thing that Shining is exceptional at is a thing that Misery is not quite as good at. And I, I was really waffling between which one I thought was better. And at the end of the day, um, I also had problems with The Shining because you read about how, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick basically broke Shelley Duvall down <laughs> and and broke her will. And I was like, okay. So I'm like, well, what did Rob Reiner do? And I found a story where... Rob Reiner realized that Kathy Bates was kind of like off on her own a lot and wasn't really interacting with the crew or the cast. And so she went up to her and she said, or, and he told her like, look, I, I noticed you're not really hanging out with the rest of the cast. And I, what I want you to do is I want you when, when you walk off the set, I want you to leave Annie Wilkes here. I don't want you to take her home. I, I don't like what I'm seeing. And I'm like, okay, like based up purely off of Rob Reiner, not being a colossal a-hole, um, I think this is the better movie because you read you read about the making of this film. And I mean, it wasn't all laughs because it was intense. But, you know, everybody genuinely was concerned and cared and were kind to each other. And that is something The Shining way doesn't have. Like The Shining was was a horrific experience for several people involved. And, you know, it, and it shows like the fact that, I mean, I mean, Kathy Bates, like cry, I was reading, she cried, she could barely film that scene where she breaks Paul Sheldon's ankles. Oh my God. Like, that scene is, that yeah, scene is she, rough, man. I can, I can yeah, understand she, why. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she had real problems with it, but you know, like, like, but the director cared and made sure she got through it and the film's better for it. And whatever deficiency she had filming that scene, he got around it with editing because he knew what he was doing. And because he gave a crap about his actors, you know, he knew where to point the camera when they were having, you know, where they were having their strengths and he knew where to point the camera when they're having their weaknesses because, you know, he was a human being. So, um, and that, that is something that the shining does not have. And that is where I think misery is superior. If, if you're waffling, cause I was, waffling. I, I, I'm not waffling at all. And I'll tell you why I, I don't, I think the shining has an unbelievable mood and an unbelievable aesthetic. I think that misery is equal to it in a much more subtle way. And it's equal to it because of the craft of the filmmakers, like the use of camera angles, the use of, you know, apt editing, the use of the slowly increasingly tight zoom of the camera. And just like, it's just, I find it to be a much more clever film and the more importantly, I find the script to be much more well-rounded and the humans real. The humans are absolutely real in this. James Caan's pa uh, passive nature in the first three quarters of the film just speaks to the depth of the characterization that they gave him to work with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I just, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a, a clear number one by a mile. I was waffling more, but but I agree, based purely off of other factors, which maybe aren't great for filmmaking, but at least I can sit there and watch this movie and not have it, you know, rattling around in the back of my head that, you know, awful traumatic stuff was not happening to this crew. Or at least at least the director was attempting to not have that happen instead of encouraging it, which, yeah, is kind of horrifying. All right. Well, so that gives us another shuffle in the top five. The top five are now... Um Man, it's a pretty strong slate of films right now. Uh, top five currently reads Misery, 
The Shining, Stand By Me, Salem's Lot, the TV miniseries from 77, and Pet Cemetery. That's that's a pretty strong top five. Yeah, I have a feeling Pet Cemetery is going to get bumped off the list. I don't soon. think it's got long in the tooth in that that number five position. Uh, unfortunately for Cujo and Carrie, I also don't see anything dethroning them for at least another two to three episodes. Wait, 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 wait! Even the Lawnmower Man, because that's next. Oh shit! That's next. Oh, I thought I thought we were getting into the the good stuff next. No, okay, never no. mind. Carrie and Cujo <laughs> now have a fight for the bottom. <laughs> yeah yeah don't you remember so our next five movies are the lawnmower man the dark half the shawshank redemption dolores claiborne and then thinner so yeah either uh, dolores claiborne might I, I i don't know much about that movie i don't remember I don't know people. anything about it I, I did not get a chance to yeah. watch it yeah yeah so that, that'll be interesting but like shawshank's gonna definitely hit the top five um without a doubt um yeah I lawnmower have a man. shawshank's gonna be the first one to make me cry yeah. No, that might be uh, Green Mile. Green Mile. Oh my God, that one kicked me right in the feels. The first. Time I, I have it. never seen that movie, so there you go. Oof, oof. Prepare yeah. yourself. That's you're not walking away clean on that one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The uh, the the top and the bottom have some some high contenders coming up, so it'll it'll be interesting. The list is going to get really shaken up in the next couple of movies. Yeah. Hey, real quick before we forget. Huge shout out to Richard Farnsworth as uh, Buster, the uh, sheriff. He's, <laughs> he's freaking great. Yeah, yeah, he is. Every aspect of it, it was so good. I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said. No, Move on. not at all. Like, what a what a what a what a great film. It's going to be tough to, to unset this from number one. I got to tell you, it's going to take a special film. Honestly, if Shawshank doesn't do it, I don't think anything else will. I, I think Shawshank is our last swing at the title i think other others will 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 uh, try and hit the podium but i think there's only one contender left for number one and that is shawshank i think you're i'm in agreement with you on that i could be i, I could be surprised oh, I, I could be too i could be too a lot of these films i i have not seen in you know many many years but man it's going to take something special to, to unseat misery because that, that was such a lovely surprise. I did not expect it to be nearly that good. I knew it was going to be good, but not like that. I'm really hoping Silver Bullet stays in the top 10 because I, I, I still like that movie quite a bit. It was it was fun. I, it wasn't good. It was it was kind of it was a popcorn flick, but it, it was a fun popcorn flick. Yeah, I, uh. I would give that the fun award right now. Yeah, it's true. It's probably the most fun. Salem's Lot's probably close second on that. Salem's yeah, Lot was a lot I'd of fun too. I agree with that. And then there's Cujo yeah. that's only fun if you, you know, oh, you shave your legs with a cheese grater, which is the oh, thing. Man. That I, that, that's the only movie on this list that I actually fast forwarded through parts because just lingering shots of the dog menacing that kid was just I, I'm like, I don't need to see this. I'm kind of done. Uh, <laughs> Carrie was rough. <laughs> Carrie, I, I, Carrie was I was real close to clicking through that one and trying to move forward. Hmm. That's uh, all right. Well, there you that go. Was, that was such an uncomfortable movie to watch as a parent of teenagers uh-huh yeah yeah all right well moving along that brings us to the end of a king in all things which of course means it's now time for our year in the life segment this is where we took a, take a look at what we did a year ago um which was uh i think not nothing right yeah nothing we took march, all march tends off to last suck year. for us yeah yeah well we we actually made two episodes this year so yeah Bucking the trends, but, bucking the trends. But yeah, yeah, with spring break and all that, um, yeah. 
This would have been one of those marches where we'd have three episodes in March and we're only going to have one. Hey, better than than none from last year. Yeah. So now at least we'll have something to look back on in a year. True that. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the segment, which means it's time for another quick break. And when we return, Transformers, the deck building game is getting its deep dive. Finally, we will be back in just a moment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And today we are deep diving Transformers, the deck building game. Transform and roll out. The Autobots are brave robot warriors hailing from the planet Cybertron. Their mission to stop the Decepticons from enacting their evil schemes on Earth. In Transformers, the deck building game, you take on the role of one of the mighty Autobots. Travel and explore the Matrix and transform between different modes as you gain allies, find relics, and acquire technology to do battle with the Decepticons. But be warned, as your deck grows, more powerful Decepticons will rise up to challenge you. The Transformers deck building game can be played competitively or as a co-op experience. This core set will begin your collection with everything you need to play, but the battle is far from over as playable Decepticons are on the way to expand your game. Jonathan, how do you play the game? So it's interesting that that last part that you've you read... Uh because they haven't announced any expansions yet, and one of my complaints was that you couldn't play as Decepticons, so I had no idea about that. Oh, yeah, I just took that off the of Board Game Geek. No, that's really funny. That, I've never looked at the Board Game Geek entry. Apparently, it's from the uh, publisher, so... Oh. Yeah, here's hoping. Anyway, tell me how to play the game, Jonathan. All right, so let's talk about Transformers, the deck-building game. Uh, first thing you're going to do is choose a character. And one of the first things that's really neat is uh, you get little cardboard standees with your characters that you get to stand up. But more importantly, you get an oversized card with your character's stats. And um, it's a two-sided card, which is dope because one side you have your robot form, the other side you have your um, vehicle form. And your movement is directly tied into whether you are a robot or a vehicle. So when you are in vehicle form, you get an extra two movement every single turn. But the downside is, generally speaking, you are much less effective in combat, which is really cool, right? Mm -hmm. So at its core, this is very much a deck building game. You're going to start with a small deck of 10 cards. It's the same starter cards for everybody. And then regardless of whether you're playing the co-op mode the um, single-player mode, or the versus mode, which is interesting. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Regardless of which mode you're playing, uh, you're always going to have those same cards when you first start up, which is kind of cool. So the first thing you're going to do is set the game up, and a big part of setup is setting up what is called the matrix. And the matrix can be a different size depending on um, how many characters you are playing. So if you've got one to two players you are going to set up a matrix that is um, three cards tall by four cards wide. If you are three to four players, it's a four by four. And if you're five players, it's a four by five. And that is important because the matrix is going to be the area that you are moving your characters around in and basically how you are discovering um, enemies, looking for win conditions, and um, trying to unlock cards that you can purchase to be your ally. Make sense so far? 
Yes. Question, actually. Yeah. Uh, are you playing specific Autobots, or are you just kind of like headcanoning that? No, you do play specific Autobots. So, the base game comes with Optimus, Bumblebee, Ironhide, Wheeljack, and RC. I happen to have extra characters because I pre-ordered it and got a character pack that came with it. And so I also have Ratchet and Jazz. Speaking of The Shining. <laughs> yes. Oh, long. I, I miss Scatman Carruthers. So, um, yeah, the the Matrix is kind of interesting because you you form the Matrix by putting cards down face down. Um, and this occurs after you also construct your um, deck for the game. So much like other games like Legendary, when you construct the deck, you construct the deck by making several individual stacks um, that you mix certain types of cards into, uh, including um, bosses, which are different levels and therefore different uh, difficulties. And when you finish your stacks, you'll have basically a section one stack, a section two stack and a section three stack, plus a small stack of five cards at the end. Um, just to prevent you from hitting end game too soon. Because one of the ways that you can end this game is if you run out of cards to refill the matrix with. And if that happens, it's game over. So um, on your turn, as you uh, roll around, you will have a couple different things that you can do. Where is that little chart? There we go. Um, on your turn, you'll be able to transform, uh, which costs Energon, and Energon forms one of the economies of the game. Um, it's represented by little cubes that you pick up. And basically, um, transforming costs you one Energon, unless you have a card that makes it you know, work a little bit differently. And we'll talk about cards in a bit, because as with all deck-building games, the cards basically break the, the base rules, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can move. You can move your Autobot one space. Now... Remember, you are moving in the matrix, which is a grid of cards, and your your movement is generally orthogonal, unless, of course, you're dealing with a flying Autobot. And Autobots that have the fly keyword uh, also have the ability to move diagonally. Uh, it's one of the key differentiators. And then um, finally, you can search. And when you search, you are actually flipping a card up in the same space as your Autobot. And that's when you get to start working through the deck. Because when you play cards, cards will pop up that can be a number of different things. They could, of course, be a Decepticon, but we'll talk about them and, and how they act as bosses and an endgame stat um, in a little bit. Uh, they, these could also be a number of different environmental cards ranging from an area location, which generally will come with a rule change. Um, other Autobots that you can ally with, um, and general cards that you can ally with, including some humans, and these all come with a cost. Like I said, a variety of different other things. There's assists, there's ass um, assets, there's uh, confrontations, there's, there's a whole litany of things that can happen to you, including in... Um, adversarial games, uh, these things called relics. And these relics are huge rule-breaking cards that also have a huge number of victory points associated with them, which is part of how you get to an end game uh, in the uh, adversarial mode. Um, let's talk about what the turn looks like. We're all familiar with deck builders, so I'll, I'll spare us some of these things. Um, but basically, like all deck builders, you're starting with 10 base cards and you are trying to buy a bunch of cards that let you um, basically make better hands. Now, the cards are interesting in the way they're constructed. They will have several symbols along the left-hand side, and those symbols uh, will be um, an arrow, um, 
So an arrow icon that can indicate movement, a target icon that indicates basically like an attack ability, and then a, enter, or a lightning bolt icon that indicates power. And that is how you purchase other cards uh, in the deck. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So as you go through, um, oftentimes these, these cards will also have print on them, which are basically rule-breaking things. And when you play a card that has a rule-breaking aspect to it, you do that before you do anything else, which means that the way you time out certain cards becomes very, very important. So now on your turn, you're going to do as many of these in an, uh, any order you want, as many times as you want, unless I state otherwise. So number one, you can play a card. Pretty simple. You take a card out of your hand. You have a hand of five and you will be refilling to that five every single turn. Um, and you, cho- you can choose to, to play it down. And when you play it, any text on it is going to resolve immediately. And you're also going to get all of your standard currencies for, um, that we just talked about. Your power, your move, and your offensive capability. Uh, you're going to have the ability to move. It costs one move point to move one. Um, if you're in your vehicle form, you get two move points automatically from your uh, Autobot card. So you're going to start with two move points on top of anything that you play. Um, You can search. You can spend one move point to flip the card that you're on over and search it. And that, of course, is how you're going to reveal the deck and a bunch of stuff that you could potentially be doing with it. Um, That is all the way from fighting Decepticons to buying Autobot um, allies. You can buy cards. You can battle cards. You can activate Energon abilities, which are card-activated things, generally on your Transformer card, that have an Energon cost to it. So, of course, you can transform, but Optimus, when he's in robot form, also has the ability for one, uh, for one Energon to draw one card or for two Energon to block an attack at range. And it has to be used, dur- and it can, excuse me, it can be used during any player's turn. Again, one of these rule-breaking bra- rule aspects. And you can confront. You can do one confrontation per turn, which is essentially confronting the boss and starting to whittle away at them so that you can um, collect them, which is, of course, one of the winning um, winning scenarios, is to beat all the bosses. So, makes sense in terms of what our, our functionality here is compared to other deck builders? Kind of the standard stuff. The big, the big things are that um, the way you are uh, showing cards. It's, it's kind of like legendary on a larger status. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Okay, so now... One of the things to keep in mind that's really, really cool is how you score some victory point cards. So um, one of the ways that you can score cards is that um, you get these relics, and this is particularly in the adversarial mode, right? And relics are worth a lot of victory points. But what's interesting is that relics also have some game-breaking effects on them, Uh, you know, like rules that break the, the core rules of the game. And... When you play them, you have the option. You you can put them in your discard plot pile, or you can put them into your archive, which basically scores the points. But the moment you put them in your archive, you're taking them out of play. And if the game ends before you have uh, moved it to your archive, you don't get those victory points. And that's a really neat risk versus reward thing. That's one of the things I really like about it. Uh, another thing I really like about it is the differences in the heroes and the differences in them when they are in their uh, different forms. So, for instance, RC is a really good example. When she's in her robot form, 
you get a base game altering. Uh, the first time you play a maneuver during each player's turn, you get to draw a card because Arcee's fast. That makes sense, right? Yeah. She can increase her power level by one um, uh, by paying one Energon, or she can reveal the top two cards of her deck, draw one of them, and destroy the other, taking it completely out of play uh, for two Energon. Or when she's in her vehicle mode, she gets plus three to her movement because she's fast. Again, makes sense. But when battling adversaries, she starts at a minus one on uh, power, which means it's harder for her to kill uh, to kill adversaries if she's in vehicle form. Again, it all makes sense. So, so the the differences in the rules between the robots and the car or the vehicles is really really awesome. And then on top of it. Every single one of the Energon abilities is very particular to the that hero and totally fits the characterizations that have been presented to us from those heroes. And that's cool because it means that the asymmetric nature of the game intrinsically is to support character, which is really fun. I like that. Question, uh, are any of the characters clearly better than the other, or do they do a good job of balancing all of them? So far, I've played as Optimus, Jazz, and Ironhide, and they've all been very similar Okay. in terms of of overall balance. The only place that I'm going to say that this has a real bearing to it is in the adversarial mode, because then you're playing for VP, uh, victory point tokens, and... In the adversarial mode, there are certain abilities that are stronger than others, but I don't know that any of them are game-breakingly so. Like, I didn't spot a meta in my playthroughs. It's less consequential and therefore a little more balanced in the um, cooperative mode and the single-player mode. One last thing that I wanted to bring up is um, one of the interesting concepts uh, that is put forth, and that is range. I don't know that I've ever seen range um, illustrated in a deck builder before. And the way it's handled, especially with some of the rule breaking um, elements, is genuinely interesting. It adds a new layer to the deck building puzzle that your brain can chew on. And I really enjoyed it. All right, Jonathan. So how does the rule book do a, a job of explaining all this? The rule book is, um, it's good and it's all in there, but it's very wordy and doesn't get to the point. <laughs> like the rule book feels like it's maybe four pages longer than it needs to be. There, there's just, there's easier ways to describe what it's describing that use less words is how I would put it. But that being said, all the rules are there and it's it's easy to ingest. And one thing I do appreciate is that they do put a fair amount of um, gameplay examples in, which really make it easier to kind of absorb the rules. And I'm looking at the cards and I see tokens and stuff. So how, how are the components here? Are the cards good? Tokens good? Yeah, I mean, it's all pretty standard card stock. It's pretty standard um, card... Uh, cardstock for the cards and it's pretty standard cardboard for the tokens and the chits and whatnot. I mean, there's not an awful lot of chits. That being said, I will say that I, you know, I would, if you're going to get this game and playing on playing it more than once or twice, I would definitely consider sleeving the cards because there's an awful lot of card motion in this game that will wear stuff down. And that is regardless of the quality of the print. Okay. 
there's a nice insert with plenty of pockets, uh, including a pocket for the oversized cards. And, you know, now knowing that there are more, um, uh, more characters and stuff coming, there's clearly room for expansion in the insert as well. So speaking of all of that, uh, anything off in the execution? I guess one of them's kind of taken care of because the playable Decepticons are coming. <laughs> well, yeah. So one of the things I was going to bring up is the fact that it's Autobots only is playable. And while that totally pleases me as a fan, because I was never a fan of the um, villains, I get where it's really weird that you can't play as Autobots versus Decepticons, especially in the, the versus mode, the adversarial mode. Um, because then it's Autobots fighting Autobots and that just doesn't make sense because the Autobots are all about, you know, teamwork and companionship. Yeah. So in my head, when I played that mode, I just said Megatron had, you know, taken over Ironhide's brain, which is why he was fighting me. But I'm a, a giant nerd and I'm sorry. Eh, it happens in the comics. Amnesia, explosive amnesia, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, we've all seen those episodes. It's easy enough. <laughs> So what's the recommended player count for this game? Um, you know what? I think that depends on what you want to do with it. So one of the cool things about this game is that you get the three rule sets in there and they all work, which is testament to the flexibility engine. I think the versus mode is perfect um, for people that like deck builders and like to fight each other. So fans of hero realms and star realms and things like that will uh, will sign up. The co-op mode is perfect for legendary encounters fans. Um, and it's cool that you have those two modes in there so that you can speak to both fan bases. And then the single player mode is, is great. I mean, it's just single player mode and it totally functions well. The only thing is I found it to be a smidge harder because you don't get any of the benefits of cooperation. All right, Jonathan. And you have one last thing to say about this game that you haven't said already. Tell me what it is. I really enjoyed it. It, it captures the essence of Transformers well. It's got a really nice execution. The art is absolutely beautiful and stunning and hand-drawn and everything that's right in the world. Some of the weird things I saw were, you know, like some obvious changes that were made to the property because probably they didn't have the right licenses for specific cars or things like that. It's nothing that breaks it, but it's just one step removed from the cartoon especially the original, which it, it, this is definitely styled like. Yeah, beyond that, you get a really great deck building game. It's not blowing the doors off of every, anything, but it's also really well put together and it hums along in three different modes and that's pretty darn awesome. But yeah, if you're going to design an insert, make sure there's room for sleeves, even on your bigger cards. Not that I'm calling this game out for that exact specific thing. That is the Transformers deck building game by Renegade Game Studios. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means, of course, we are at the end, Robert, of episode 124 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you, um, especially on the Discord. That seems to be where the most action is right now, which, of course, means, Robert, any final thoughts? One of the things I've been doing while I've been reading the Swedish version of Dracula is... Uh, imagining it as an HBO miniseries. And there's actually a bit I really like where, where Dracula and his goons have uh, kind of pretended to be uh, Jonathan Harker and, and, you know, gone out gambling and done stuff to kind of sully his name. So they think that maybe he like ran off or something, but Mina doesn't buy it. 
So she talks uh, Jonathan's boss into sending her out there. And her and a couple other people are like all, looking all around Romania, looking for Jonathan and trying to figure out where he went. And I'm like, that's a cool bit because it makes uh, it makes me a little bit more proactive. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like that. I like giving her more to do. And I'm like, if you were doing it because they used other characters, but it's like, yeah, I... The other character needs more to do in that story is Quincy. So I think Quincy and Mina tooling around Europe looking for Jonathan uh, for a little bit in a show. That'd be fun. That'd be a fun dynamic. I don't know. I got nothing. That's all I can think about. If you made Dracula into uh, one series, you could make that be a spinoff, kind of like Book of Boba. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Like after they... Book of Mina. The Book of Mina. Yeah, her and Quin... Well, Quincy's dead, but her and Quincy's similar yet distinct brother uh, roaming around like killing monsters. That'd be a fun show. Totally not Quincy. Totally not Quincy. Like, it's his brother, Quincy Jr. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us to the end, which means, of course, there's only one last thing to do, Robert, and that is be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.